Welcome to Thriving Through Menopause, where we talk about this time of life, mind, body, and spirit. I'm your host, Clarissa Christensen. Each week, I'm joined by top professionals dropping their tips and advice. Remember, episodes drop every Tuesday. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a beat. And if you like this podcast, please rate and review it. Thank you, because this helps others to find the show. You can check out our website, find out which episodes are coming up, and get the latest blog and advice by going to my website, thrivethroughmenopause.com, and get ready to thrive, not just survive, through perimenopause and beyond. Welcome to today's episode of Thriving Through Menopause with me, Clarissa. And we're going to talk about a very important subject that we haven't discussed in great detail here, but that is close to my heart, and that is managing menopause in the workplace. And I'm happy to say that that conversation is growing, uh, obviously big in the UK, but I know that many of you, my listeners, don't live in the UK. And so I thought it was really important to maybe open this up to a more global viewpoint. And I have a wonderful guest with me today, Karen Stein, and she's an executive coach and a little bit more about her in a minute. Uh, but managing menopause in the workplace is one of her specialist areas. So welcome to the show, Karen. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Uh, you are um, an executive coach, as we said, but you're also a partner of Deloitte's and you've been that for many, many years. And you lead coaching programs for women partners in Deloitte. And you're also a faculty member of Deloitte University Asia Pacific and you work with a lot of leadership programs and one of the areas is sustaining the careers of women leaders isn't it Karen within this absolutely work. yeah and therefore taboo around menopause or menopause preventing women from continuing and growing their careers has become much bigger everywhere in the world hasn't it oh I'd say so I mean it it's certainly something that's become more evident in, in the most recent of years. And I think that we're beginning to lift the lid on the conversation in the corporate world where I think particularly this year we're seeing um, more of an appetite for people to talk to it. So I'm happy to be with you today to open up the conversation further. Definitely. And, and I mean, I'm so glad that, it you know, back in the sort of hometown of Sydney that this is happening because, you know, yes, as I said, the UK, it's big, but it's a big conversation, but the actual action on the ground is still very small in, in real mm. terms in the number of countries. But maybe mm. let's begin about why is it a workplace issue? Well, I, I suggest it, it's a workplace issue very much because of the number of people who are uh, enduring symptoms of menopause. So if we look to, to women, some non-binary and some gen transgender persons, they are working through menopause at um, an age of 45 to 55 years. Um, there's close to or moving towards 1 billion women in the world of that of that age and close to half of them are in the workplace and in fact in Australia 78% of women aged 45 to 55 are in the workplace so it's very much an age where they're looking at being on the cusp of exciting opportunities they're you know moving through their careers to look at promotional opportunities or take up leadership opportunities and at the very same time, they're overlaid with this biological issue of, of um, enduring symptoms of hormonal changes from perimenopause, which is depriving them sometimes of opportunities to meet these goals. So 
being in the workplace, uh, we're seeing more and more women, well, having a, a longer life expectancy. In fact, the age expectancy now has increased over the last 100 years by 20, 20 years. So we're closer to 83 years as the average life expectancy. And so a third of women are, are, are probably going to, or rather women are going to spend at least another third of their lifetime after menopause with a great percentage of that in the workplace. So we're working for longer, we're living for longer, and, and we're finding that the symptoms that we endure are actually having an impact on how we work in the workplace. So something which organisations really need to draw their attention to. No, Sorry, no, go ahead. go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, I'm just thinking, wow. Oh, yeah. I, was just, I, I was just thinking it's, it's really a, quite a challenging time for these women because as they're, they're moving through, not only are they suffering from many of these symptoms, we find that about 80% of women who endure perimenopausal symptoms find them quite bothersome and, and some even about 20% find them life-changing. And so that's impacting on how they participate in the workplace. About 45% are actually looking at retiring early or perhaps stepping away. And some 59% of women are finding that they um, are just unable to continue at the rate that they were in the workplace. So they're taking more leave to step away because of their symptoms. And 90%, the greater number of women who are working through perimenopause are actually expressing that it's having a negative impact on the way that they work. So it's a really challenging life stage to be going through when you're also trying to, to navigate how can you have these career opportunities and from an organisation's point of view, it's also challenging looking back at the optics of this because we're very aware of the, of the optics of, of um, the, the parity concerns around gender. Um, in fact, there was a, a recent uh, census that was completed by the, the Chief Executive Women uh, in Australia, their 2022 gender census, and they discovered that um, it's going to take something like 100 years for there to be a catch-up in the number of women who are parity of CEO positions for ASX 200 and maybe 32 years or less a number <laughs> for those who are moving towards management positions. And so if we're having women who are leaving the workplace at the same time that we're having this huge gap in the gender parity stats, it's going to be very challenging to maintain diversity in the workplace. So it, that's one of the key issues that relates to why it becomes a workplace issue. Yeah, so it's really when you listen to it like that, you realise that it's so much bigger than just helping women to manage symptoms per se because of flow-on effect to the way in which workplaces function, um, equity, diversity, which actually impacts not just the women themselves but younger women coming behind them, doesn't it? Sure, yeah. sure. The role modelling that occurs, the future forward-looking state that occurs. And, and diversity, we, we all know the studies around diversity in the workplace. It's obviously good for business. Um, a, a greater uh, level of diversity in the workforce means that there's greater amount of cre creativity and learning and innovation, which leads to more productivity and performance improvements and greater profitability. If we're seeing a decline in diversity, then it's just not making great business sense. So we need to understand how can we try and support the workplace and women working through menopause so that they can remain and be their best selves within the workplace. Great for women, great for business, it makes sense. Um, so it very much sits, sits within that from a gender perspective, from a, a, a diversity perspective, but also from an inclusion perspective because to my mind, if we're talking about gender in the workplace, we want to bring the whole self into the workplace and not just the bit that sits within the box that we feel comfortable talking about when it relates yeah. to gender. 
we want to really open up all of the gender and, and all of the issues relating to it. And menopause is simply one issue which relates uh, to women and some non-binary and transgender persons in terms of what they're working through in their lifetimes. We really need to encompass and be inclusive of that whole self so that they can feel safe within the workplace. Yes, definitely. And safe to be able to talk about what they're going through and reach out for support. Yeah. Definitely, definitely, because quite a few people actually feel because of the taboos, because of the discomfort, um, that they're, they're not comfortable bringing it up in the workplace. And so many are masking symptoms or um, or really feeling quite distressed about the symptoms and making some big life choices because they're feeling derailed as a result of those symptoms. And I guess I'm, I'm just thinking of myself in terms of, of my age. Um, menopause was not something that mum used to sit and talk to me about. And Certainly, if we look at people of my age, maybe the sandwich generation in between the older generation and the younger social media generations coming through, we're really looking at trying to assist people in the workplace with feeling comfortable of talking to a topic which we just didn't hear spoken about as we grew up. Both, both men and women wouldn't have heard much of that at all. Yet we have our children who very happily will talk to all topics, whether it's menstruation or menopause or whatever it might be. And so we just need to find a way of being able to bring this into conversations to put everybody at ease. So as you said, the younger generations can look for a future ahead where they feel safe to have whatever stages of life they go through. And those currently going through it can work out, well, how can they continue to thrive in the workplace and bring their whole self into what yeah. they do? I think that's a really important point there, Karen, because, I mean, not everybody can leave. Not everybody is in an economic position where giving up work is an option for them or pausing it, sometimes we have to keep going. And I would have put myself in that space. I was a single mum. My job was right. very important for me. And I yes. could not have paused that because I had a mortgage to pay. I had a child, you know, going through high school and, and the HSC and all that places on. Basically, that's the higher school certificate, which Karen knows, like I do, is a big, yes. a big thing on families at exactly the same sort of time as we are menopausal. And I think many of us just can't leave. So support is is not just about keeping keep is not just about keeping people. It's keeping people in their jobs. It's not just about sort of talking yes. about it. It's making us feel that we have a career and that we can pick our careers up later. Because menopause yeah. doesn't last forever, as we know. And once we're through it, we know our brains upgrade and we become more, you know, creative and outspoken and that there has to be able to be that opportunity for us to reignite our careers without feeling that we have to leave the organization. Oh, most, most definitely. I, I, mean, I really see it as a well-being issue from a number of points of view and one relates to what you're describing as the financial well-being because as you said some people just are unable to leave or maybe unable to change to part-time and and if they do you know the the imposts that they're incurring as a result of such a choice can be significant but not just for the moment also in terms of the superannuation which they're foregoing so for later in life they're actually uh, reducing their financial well-being as a result of feeling they ha they're having to make such choices we, we actually had an interesting study, another Australian one, which came out recently. The um, Australian Institute of Superannuation Trustees did a study and they identified that if only 10% of women in the age bracket of 45 to 55 menopausal years, if they were to leave the workforce, the cost to them in lost earnings and lost superannuation would be some $17 billion per annum. 
That's billion dollars per annum. And that's obviously also going to increase the superannuation gap toward, against women, which is another significant problem and another significant decline in their financial well-being. So, you know, we really need to look at ways to support women to remain in the workplace for the financial reasons, also for, for the mental well-being piece. Because if you're in suffering from a loss of confidence or you're feeling that you're being derailed in terms of the goals that you had in your career, and you're feeling that, you know, this is increasing anxiety or, or, or even leading to depression or otherwise, there can be some cyclical impacts of what, what actually has happened to you because of menopause and then what is happening to you because of the way that you're responding to this, the change in circumstances and the change in career circumstances. So we want to also look after people's mental well-being and as well, of course, of their physical well-being is, is what needs to happen to allow them to feel physically better as they're working through perimenopause and what are some of the options that they might be able to discover through seeking support outside of the firm and so forth. Exactly. And that's a really good segue to my question now is what are some of the key things that can be done to support uh, employees in the workplace who are going through perimenopause and intermenopause? I think there's a lot. I think there's a lot. Um, I, I think it's the first thing is actually normalising the conversation making it so that there's an ease of conversation around talking to menopause as we would towards any other health issue. And, and obviously over time, we've become more comfortable talking about many issues that 15 years ago, perhaps we wouldn't have spoken as openly about mental health, mental wellbeing. And I think we're just moving through now being able to start opening the conversations to have that, the normalising of, of the conversation. So the more that we actually do have people in the workplace who have access to resources uh, perhaps it's guidelines or policies which are distributed across an organisation. The easier it is for people to to learn about it, to educate themselves, um, whether they're personally going through it or whether they have a family member or a friend or, or a sibling or otherwise who too might be going through it. And, and that's a really interesting point is that we think of this as a, a women or perhaps some non-binary and, and transgender person's issues, but it also relates to men because they too are also impacted by whether it's colleagues, family members, friends or others who may be going through um, some of the, the symptoms of perimenopause and they too are at a loss at times to understand what do I do to support? What do I need to do to understand? Why is this happening? What is happening? Um, and, and to be honest, 50% of women who go through perimenopause don't understand the concept of perimenopause and so if you're not going through it and you're watching from the sidelines, it's probably even harder unless you're educated. So that's the first thing I think is increase education, yeah. increase access to information. Yeah. Flexibility, I think, is a really big piece as well. So how can we actually turn our minds to allowing people to have more autonomy in the way that they're working? How can we allow them to make choices about when they work, where they work? Um, for instance, if, if I'm suffering from sleep deprivation because of, of my menopausal symptoms and I'm really finding I fall asleep at six in the morning and get my best sleep for those two hours till eight, the last thing I want to do is chase my tail to jump in the car and get to work by nine o'clock and get the kids out the door and all the rest. If I could shift my hours and start maybe half an hour later and arrive without the stress and anxiety of being late and formalize you know, the use of flexible working policies that could support me. Or perhaps it's, it's shifting time in the day when I can have meetings or when I can catch up with people or even allowing me to work from home can be very beneficial, um, particularly for women who have physical symptoms, who yeah. might have hot flushes or want to have cooler working environments or access to bathrooms, um, these kind of things. So I think flexibility in the workforce is very important for people who are working through, through symptoms. 
And then looking also about how do we put our arms around people and support them. So what forums can we provide? So again, if we're thinking actually the the, the construct of, of self-determination theory comes to mind, I spoke of autonomy, but if we extend that further, if we help people with their competencies and, and help them learn more about menopause and then we also help them have a sense of relatedness and belonging that they're not alone in going through these symptoms they're actually sitting with others in forums and talking to others who might be experiencing similar types of of symptoms or also being challenged with what they're doing within the workplace self-determination theory autonomy competency relatedness that builds out people's self-belief self-assurance self-confidence that can certainly help women who are challenged by menopause in the workplace so yeah. I think there's a whole a whole long list, Clarissa, of, of things we can do. <laughs> Probably my favourite one is is suggesting that we actually um, move away from back to back meetings yes. and create well being breaks for everybody, because it's um, not just the menopausal women who want to make use of a bathroom. I think everybody <laughs> yes. needs to be able to have those moments, those ten minutes, to be able to refresh, to have some water, to have a bathroom break, and and bring more humanity and kindness into the way that we're working. So we're all treating ourselves always with dignity and respect and, and recognition that we're people first. Yes. And and we'll perform at our best when we're functioning at our best. So, yeah, providing clean bathrooms, um, feminine hygiene products in bathrooms can actually really also assist people in the workplace and, and time to get to them. Yes. Yeah. Uh, that's a very important point. I love that sort of last point because I think we've all sat there thinking, meeting, 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 and your whole diary. And I can remember having a colleague saying, well, now the meetings are over, I can actually do my work. And then it was five o'clock, you know, <laughs> so they live the yes. whole day in a meeting, which it's actually exhausting. And then the meeting is in lunch and then the lunch isn't as healthy, sure. you know, and, and you, the whole thing isn't conducive, as you say, to human, humans in general, let no. alone women. But I really love no. your three pillars because... When we actually say them, they're really not that hard to comprehend that we want to educate, create forms of flexibility, however that works in your workplace, and support. And yet, you know, how does that kill? Why is it so hard might be my question to actually do that within organizations because we know that the, the theory and the practice sometimes don't hang together. Oh, well, I'd, I'd suggest it's because menopause has been a taboo subject. It's been something that people have had a high level of discomfort speaking about. And as I said, generationally, it's not been something that we've brought into the workplace. And, and, and women are working longer now, so that you didn't have as many women who were working for such an age. It used to be in Australia, the retirement age was once 55. So you would have people coming to the end of their career rather than, you know, really being at the peak and wanting to go much further. So... Um, yeah, the gender balance is changing as well. And, and there's, as I said, there's the fullness of gender that we need to consider. So I think once we bring a level of, of, of normalisation and comfort to the workplace and allow people to, to feel they can speak more freely about it and, and be supported, the easier it will be for people to have conversations. And certainly I'm not asking people in the workforce to solve for other people's symptoms it's more just to be compassionate towards the individual and to be understanding of what support they might need. So even just asking the question is, how can I help you? What what would be supportive for you with your workload at the moment? Um, how are you managing in the office? Is there any support that I can offer you? And being a, a an open ear to those who feel that they do want to sit and talk with you 
um, whether you're male, female, or, yeah. or non-binary or transgender, whether they want to sit with you or, or whether they're actually um, hoping you'll notice and be able to provide them with suggestions as an ally. Yes, much. and I think that's that's a really good point. So education really plays into that, doesn't it, Karen? And from your perspective, what kind of education do workplaces, managers, supervisors, senior leaders need? Because as you said, we don't want to be solving menopause. We're not clinicians or health practitioners, That's but right. we are business leaders. So it seems more and more high stakes decisions are ending up in my hands. While still of the challenge, I worry some decisions might not get the attention they deserve. Working with Aon means I've got their whole team in my corner with advanced analytics and expert insights that put things in the right context. It's the gut check I need to stay on top of it all. Better decisions. Aon. How does that education uh, become useful uh, in a workplace and how is it targeted for those, those leaders? I think it's still in its early days in terms of how these um, educational policies are coming together. But I think at the moment, there's some fab fabulous um, providers of educational material that I'm finding in Australia, some some really awesome um, women who who together have put forward some platforms, which can be very useful, whether they're, they're delivering content in person through through lunch and learn sessions or through webinars or even through um, some some learning online learning sessions which are allowing people to do modules in their own time and they can scale that depending on who you're targeting for so it might be that you know if, when you're talking of the education I think it's important it comes top down that we we have um, organizations who understand the whole workplace issue in terms of why this is a workplace issue to start with normalize that and give people comfort towards that once there's an understanding of that and they understand the dynamics around you know, the, the issues around performance, productivity, around social conscience of just having a more inclusive workplace and sound judgment to be able to look after your workforce and have a, a workforce who feels supported and engaged. Once they work through those, it's then just understanding, well, what are some of the symptoms that might be occurring? So I think at a high level, talking through some of the physical symptoms, some of the cognitive symptoms and how they might impact on individuals in the workplace. And then, and then with that, being able to start to support people and go into the, the, the modules as to, well, how deep do we want yeah, to go? I think that's a really good. I think that having a kind of top-down, simple, and then deeper should we require it um, would be that. How do we get that going at an organisation? Because somebody has to initiate it. Is it, is it HR? Is it coaches like yourself? Is it women leaders? Who presses the start button here? Yeah, I think it's going to depend on the size of the organisation as well as to you know what resources they do have. So I don't believe that there's a one one model for for all organisations. I I do think it depends on size and scale and access to resources. So it might be within larger organisations. It might be a combination between um, those who are looking from an HR perspective, those who might be looking at a workforce transformation perspective. There, there could be a, a number that come together and build a strategy around it. Uh, I think independently, coaches have a very big role to play in terms of how they can support um, those going through menopause in the workplace and, and can um, allow for the one-on-one -on -one attention that will support people to be their best selves. So as I mentioned, the symptoms 
physical, cognitive, they can have a huge impact on on how you perform in the workplace and the decisions and choices you make. So to be enabled with a coach, I think is going to be very important to facilitate a safe space uh, where you can sit with somebody in a trusted relationship and, and, and really with no judgment as to what you're going through and start to canvas how can I explore and discover how I can be my best self given what I'm working through? Um, how can I have somebody who helps me build out my awareness and my understanding of, of what's possible, maybe helps me understand um, some of the self-limiting thinking that I might be experiencing or the dropping confidence and, and works with me around strategies for that. Maybe they, they help me reframe some of my thinking if I've got automatic negative thoughts and how do they help move me to more positive enhancing thoughts. So there's yes. a whole cognitive piece that can be worked on. But there's also a network piece that can come through coaching. So helping me to discover who might I reach out to? Why might I reach out to them? And what am I hoping to achieve in reaching out to them? Because it's all fine and good to say, well, go and talk to someone. But what am I asking of them? What do I need from them? So actually having a coaching space to self-discover what support might I need? How do I communicate that? How do I share my thoughts? Um, how do I come yes. solution focused? Perhaps, you know, to enable the organisation to maybe have some thinking that they didn't yet have because they might not be experiencing it uh, and, and use a coaching framework to try and lift that awareness and cultivate more learnings for the individual, uh, whether it's educational, whether it's seeking support outside um, within a, a medical yeah. context, um, whether it's peer support. Yes, and I think that's an, uh, often a missing element for many women. I think what I see quite a lot is you get the, the educational piece, uh, happening but as you said it is a lot of it is our own self-advocacy our own ability to look at our problem differently and I and I would maybe suggest to you also yeah. that it, coaching can help us to be able to frame a better conversation with our managers so that we can actually say Entirely. I'm yep. going through perimenopause these are some of the symptoms I have and Therefore, I'm wondering if I can, you can support me or what can the organization do to support me, X, Y, Z. And that maybe opens up doors for flexible working or maybe having to pause being on so many projects and being able to deliver really well on yes. one rather than thinking, gosh, I haven't got the capacity because I have a lot of brain fog and I'm really tired. I yes. can deliver really well on a few and, and how we frame those conversations. And I think that is still a little bit lacking in, in how a lot of people are approaching menopause at work. Oh, I agree. I think, I think that it can impact on people's oh, confidence yeah. considerably. And so then structuring a conversation where you're walking in with strength and confidence and feeling that it's, it's well thought out and, and even going to the point of visualising the conversation, you know, trying to come in with a, a, um, a way that you feel that you're at your best in the conversation and you've thought about what might derail you in a conversation so you're you're more ready for some of the questions that might come up um, can very much be spoken to within it there's almost a goal setting approach to some degree it's you know setting you know what is it that you're hoping to achieve in maybe changing some of your work practices how do you take small steps to help yourself achieve them what support do you need what are some of the obstacles that you might need to work through or work around or step over or under um, and, and having a, some frameworks to support you, perhaps even which strengths can you bring of yourself to this 
this problem. So if you thought of this as a complex problem and you're in the business of solving complex problems, what could you bring that you would ordinarily do in solving another complex problem? And also, how would you use compassion? So compassion for yourself. I think that's important through coaching too, is reminding us uh, to sometimes just stop and talk to ourselves kindly and as we would to a, to a kind friend and speak to us ourselves with compassion and support ourselves in that way because it's not something that we've brought onto ourselves. It's something that we just are experiencing very naturally and a, that kindness and compassion um, can really take some of the weight off the thinking that comes with what am I going through and why is why yeah, am I being definitely. this Definitely. And I think it, we do end up because there's such a big change having our inner critic on you know, speed dial, you know, it's really there. So I really love bringing that sense of self-compassion and obviously helping to foster compassion in workplaces generally so that, as you said, we go around and ask people, how are you? What can I do for you? One of the things, Karen, we've seen emerge in the UK is this concept of menopause champions in workplaces. Um, Hiya. I'd love yes. to get your perspective on that and how you think they can work. I, I think that, that it can be very beneficial. I think that they can act as a signpost within the organisation to allow people, first of all, to know who to go to, who to turn to, to seek support, but also to the rest of the organisation that we're okay to talk to this. So if somebody is it has enabled themselves to, to be a menopause champion and, and has the ability to support people, whether it's providing them with access to guidelines or policies or information or, or, or setting them into the right direction to find a support network um, or maybe that coach who's going to support them. Um, it's going to be, it, it's almost a, a, a release of pressure because you, you know that first step that you can take to seek support. And I think optically it's very important within an organisation that if we're trying to normalise the conversation and we're trying to enable people to, to have an ease and step into this as just a normal part of life, if we have people who can offer support and who are recognised as the people who will be able to provide additional awareness and insight, it can only be good for those in the organisation. I think also standing outside looking in at a menopause champion, I would personally feel quite comfortable knowing that we have people armed in the organisation who have the right mindset, who have the right insight and awareness. And so it makes me feel better as a professional that there's someone I can refer someone yes. to if it's my peer and they're seeking support. Um, now, sure, they might get on referred from that menopause champion to someone externally or, or elsewhere within the organisation. But I think that it, it's, it's kind of the, the domino effect of, of having that can be very good. The ripple effect of having it can be very good for people to, to see that we're taking this seriously. And again, it comes back to that that issue of inclusivity and diversity. We're making sure that we have a workforce where people feel safe and yeah. psychologically safe to be able to talk to issues without risk of humiliation or embarrassment. They know where they can go and have a conversation, where they can bring a point of view, test their thinking, test their ideas, and again, with no judgment and 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 feel enabled in doing so. So I'm, I'm a, a big advocate of I mean, that's re- And there's really, when you put it like that, it's it comes across as a really central pillar within this whole support area, along with possibly opportunities to bring people together to have conversations, to have, uh, shall we say, hierarchy-free lunch and learns or whatever there is where people can speak very freely without fear that this information is going to be passed to their manager or that 
people are allowed to yes. make any comments about people going to that meeting. You know, sort of we keep you keep it as oh, a certainly. very safe space for people. I think that's very, very important because that's coming over this hurdle. Yeah. And to some degree, as we would with other um, other focus groups, opening it up to other people who want to come and learn, even yeah. if they're not going through perimenopause themselves, I think is also really important so that other people who have an interest in, in learning and being educated are not deprived of that opportunity. If, if, if they're feeling that there's some way that they too can sit and observe and listen to a conversation or maybe share their own insights or point of view or even have their questions addressed, how fabulous is that? Then saying it's only for this discrete yes. group of people. So I think it's also about making everybody feel comfortable mm. and safe um, with participating as best they feel that their needs need Absolutely. to be Absolutely, and I think it's really great if men feel they can come to that. And I think encouraging younger women who often think that this has got nothing to do with them <laughs> to come to this meeting is also because I think then we create this yes. intergenerational cross-gender support within organisations, which allows yeah. people to feel safe not feel that they have to keep everything to themselves. And also, as you said, inclusion, bringing your whole self to work. Yes. And it, and also it matches up with the self-determination theory we were talking about. If I can feel a sense of relatedness and belonging, I'm going to feel all that much better. And if I feel that within this group and sitting with this group of people, all the, all the better for me in terms of building my own self-confidence and ability to participate. Exactly, and wanting to stay within the organisation and continue my yes. career and know that that's something that I can do. Because I know, like I did, I felt that I couldn't really stay because there was no support me mechanism. Yes, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry to yeah. hear that. That's and I just think that the organisation really wasn't even there to do that. And therefore, you know, it, mm. you were on your, and I'm sure there were other women who were going through perimenopause, but mm. that mm. those words were never spoken. I mean, you know, so, so that then, then people mm. probably were struggling on their own and then being performance downgraded uh, when really mm. they were going mm. through perimenopause. Yeah. Yes. And, and to that, to that point, I think the more we educate, the more people will, 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 maybe ask more questions than perform, jump straight to performance management. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe have a different level of realisation and, and just be asking, uh, is there anything that I need to know that is impacting your performance at the moment as opposed to not testing their assumptions and, and, and um, holding some perceived views as to what is going on for that person. I think the more we can open up the conversations to say, is, is there anything that would support you by me knowing anything about what's happened with your performance? This is kind of you know, not, not what we'd typically be seeing of you. Is there anything that we could support you with? That may also start to open a conversation and move away from some of those performance management conversations, which people perhaps are jumping yeah. to too quickly. So I, I love this whole conversation, Karen, because we've really showed that through education, flexibility and the support which comes from champions and forums, there really is feels to me like really structured hopeful ways to go and when we overlay that with coaching that that really is a mm -hmm. tremendous way to support keeping those going through perimenopause in workplaces and thriving that's the goal yes yes not just surviving Indeed. but thriving Karen your yes. work is within a particular group but how can women maybe 
particularly in Australia, but elsewhere, gain more understanding of where they can begin this process of being supported and helping to manage their perimenopause or those of their colleagues in the workplace? Yeah, fair, fair question. And I think um, it's really interesting when, when women start to um, feel that they're recognising some of the symptoms that they're going through and maybe through speaking to, to girlfriends or colleagues, they might think, oh, me too, what's going on for you? So it's actually starting to have some conversations. Certainly with, with my group of girlfriends, um, when we started to raise it with each other, that's when we started to go, oh, okay, this is making a bit more sense now. So the first thing is, is, is finding your own network where you feel you can ask some questions. Um, if, if possible, if your GP, your general practitioner is able to assist you, then that's a good place to start. But what I've discovered is that many in the medical profession have not been trained in menopause to any significant degree. And so they may overlook those symptoms and, and um, class them as other types of issues. So if you're not comfortable with your GP, uh, the Australian Menopause Society actually does have some suggested GPs who have an interest in women's health, and so it's really good to, to actually start there or to seek further insights from from that society to enable you to start having some conversations. Um, there there are a number of women's forums as well where you can find yourself um, being able to to participate, and and so. Um, yeah, I, I think there's a risk that I'm going to leave some out if I start to to mention yeah. some, but. Um, there's a there's a series if if you even if you just jump on LinkedIn and you look up menopause you'll actually find very quickly uh, a number of key providers who who would be able to talk in the workplace uh, to enable you. Um, but I think it's the first thing is looking inwardly at yourself to try and discover what's happening for me. You know, am I recognising that I'm not feeling as I did maybe in the last few months or the last year or, or years and. And should I start first investigating myself and to try and discover a bit more of what's happening for me and seeing what might support me in this current time? And I guess being persistent. So mm. if you still feel that it doesn't feel right and you've had advice, is, is perhaps find an, another doctor to, to have a conversation with till you discover what's going to work for you and that you have a good understanding of, of what the different outcomes Definitely. might be. There's some yes. great books yes, to read as well. Yes, there are lots. There are some, some really, really, good, really books. good books. And, yes. and I definitely think that having that network and finding maybe within your own, if there's a women's network in your office, in, in the organization you yes. work with, maybe then that's a good time to say, shall we have a lunch and learn or how can we meet this? Because I, I think those can be very proactive spaces for women mm. in, in positions to come together across their organization and really kickstart it yeah and I, I what my experience has been is that um, most want to yes. share <laughs> they're almost relieved to be able to talk about it and find uh, others who who are also you know revealing of of what they're going through and and sharing and uh, that's really important too is is sometimes um, you know the question so oh, how could I talk to this or others and the more that we get comfortable with talking to it as just another stage of life and I guess owning it as best we can the easier it is to be able to support others in supporting yourself. So um, I, I personally speak very freely about it. Obviously, yes. I'm speaking with you today about it. But even I think that's helpful to support others. The more that there's conversations around the topic, the more people will find the insights. There's going to be a spark of, of something that's going to, to carry them forward to think about, okay, this is someone I could talk to or otherwise. 
Actually, employee assistance programs can sometimes be really good as well. If people use those, they can seek support, um, whether it's, you know, speaking to counsellors, psychologists, GPs and the like, but also being referred through those to other support places. So that can also be quite useful and and, um, many of the larger employers would have those in Australia. Indeed. That which I've used in the past for other things, so I wholeheartedly support that. Mm. Karen, thank you so much for coming on and sharing really practical, hopeful um, insights and information around this topic. And, uh, you know, we'll put all those notes and guides into the show notes so people around the world and in Australia particularly can dive in and, and begin a journey to managing menopause at work and thriving. Thank you. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Thriving Through Menopause. If you like this podcast episode, please hop over to my website, thrivethroughmenopause.com and rate and review it. And thank you if you do that because it helps others to find the show. Want more news and views on perimenopause and menopause? Then sign up to my weekly newsletter, Heart of Menopause, over on Substack. Thank you once again for listening. And see you next week for another guest interview helping you to thrive through menopause.